Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders and more than 200 multinationals by providing them with proprietary research, analytical tools, and data that helps power their emerging markets business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is the discussion of FSG's newly released EMEA Regional Outlook. My name is Matthew Spivak, and I'm a director on the EMEA Research team at Frontier Strategy Group. I'm joined today by Martina Bozizheva. Uh, she's FSG's uh, head of EMEA Research. Martina, thanks for joining me today. I want to focus on some of the key takeaways, uh, not only from your EMEA Regional Outlook report, uh, but then also from a report that was released called the Regional Executive Leadership Briefing. Um, I think that taking the content that I know is in those two reports right now, it's, it's pretty timely for a discussion, thinking about the fact that we've just started um, the second quarter and we're on the fringe of strategic planning season, uh, facing many interesting cross-currents, lots of uh, challenges in the market that we're speaking about with our clients all the time. A lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. We, we've clearly hit a uh, bit of a bumpy road, and it's been a bumpy start in the EMEA region uh, in 2016. How have FSG's expectations uh, for the macro environment changed? Yeah, there have been a few key changes um, uh, that were especially evident in January. And uh, since then, it seems like the world has stabilized, but we think this is only a short-term thing. And so uh, even though things might look a little bit better right now, we think that the time of volatility will come back before we complete 2016. The main thing that we did uh, in terms of our macro expectations is we lowered our oil price forecast for 2016 and the next several years. Uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, given uh, the supply and demand dynamics in all markets, as well as changed ex- expectations, which have actually moved real oil prices. So right now we're forecasting an oil price average for this year at around 30 to $35 a barrel, going up to about 40 to 45 next year, and um, around 55 to 60 uh, in 2018. That has resulted in a change uh, in our growth expectations for uh, regions within EMEA. So we've lowered our growth expectations for Sub-Saharan Africa as a whole uh, from 4% to 3.8% for 2016. For the Middle East, from 29 to 2.4%. Uh, f- for this year, and then in Central and Eastern Europe, which includes Russia, from one and a half to one point one percent GDP growth. So we're definitely more negative on the oil exporters than we were last year, uh, and on markets that are directly linked and dependent on energy exporters. Plus, we're expecting greater volatility as a whole. Got it. And you mentioned uh, oil prices; there are very important from the macroeconomic standpoint how these markets are performing. Uh, we we've definitely found that. Commodity prices as a whole, but then also currency depreciation are, have been two of the bigger disruptors for performance as well as for expectations. Um, is there anything more that we're thinking about right now that you can discuss as far as where we are in this disruption cycle? Yeah, so I think both the uh, the currency volatility and the oil price drop have played out already and are currently in forecasts and expectations for multinationals that we work with. Uh, so that uh, it has already been absorbed into the new normal of expectations, if you will. Uh, but there's quite a bit of uncertainty left in the region. And uh, I guess the one thing that 
hasn't played out yet is a potential risk, although not a given, is um, a much faster slowdown in China, so hard landing in China, or even a, a crisis coming out of China's financial sector, for example. That would be one thing that could be a massive disruptor to this outlook that currently hasn't played out, and we hope it doesn't, although there is certainly a risk there. What is the bias for the outlook for the EMEA region? Is it neutral right now? You said that some of the disruptions that we saw earlier in the year have stabilized a little bit. Or is it negative looking forward? Yeah, so we, we certainly revised things down in a more negative territory at the beginning of the year. At this point, our bias economically is generally neutral, meaning we don't expect a substantial deterioration nor a substantial improvement. Politically, it's a different story. So we've seen uh, a bit of a lag in how politics reacts to some of these economic disruptions. Uh, and we're only in the beginning of that cycle. So whereas the economic disruption has already happened to some extent, the political one is only now starting to play out in terms of insecurity, the rise of populist parties, uh, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment, terrorism. Those are things that are only going to get worse. You, you mentioned terrorism there, and then you also mentioned uh, China a moment ago. Could you put our outlook for the EMEA markets into more of a global context? Yeah, the EMEA outlook is in line with uh, global trends, except perhaps in East Asia, where we've seen really strong growth uh, and not big of, as big of an impact from the drop in energy prices for most of those markets. Uh, a number of markets in EMEA are uh, behaving uh, like markets in Latin America, which is obviously having a tough time right now. So EMEA is not the weakest region globally, and it certainly has lots of pockets of opportunity uh, where you can still diversify to mitigate risk. Uh, so it's a pretty uneven story, uh, but uh, it's right there with uh, global trends. Got it. And given these macro dynamics, thinking about uh, senior executives at um, you know, multinational companies focused on, on EMEA, um, how how should they put this context uh, into the way that they're thinking about their EMEA strategies and the potential for recovery? Yeah, I think it's time for us to stop waiting for a recovery uh, in the meaningful sense of a rebound in, in growth. There is going to be an improvement, which, of course, we can call recovery, but it's not going to be a big one and it's going to be very slow. We're talking about two, three years until we really start to see it. And so um, in the meantime, Obviously, multinationals need to do something to sustain and improve their performance. Uh, and what we're suggesting is really a focus on what are your top priorities, uh, going away from uh, dispersion, if you will, uh, and really understanding geographically, executionally, financially, what are those priorities, and then align the business uh, resources and execution around those. We're seeing a lot of companies still being a little bit indecisive and trying to deliver on both growth and profitability targets in every market. That's a bit of an unrealistic expectation at this point. And so we, we really have to adapt to this environment and play the, the benefit of having an EMEA portfolio is that you can play that portfolio game. One of the things I know has been coming up in discussion a lot for you in speaking with uh, regional clients there's really five key actions that we're recommending companies take. Can you just briefly go over what those actions are and, and how they could impact um, how companies are looking at the region for this year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing that we suggest is uh, really focusing on channel optimization or route-to-market optimization. Uh, there's basically no margin for error in the channel at this point. And so a lot of companies are saying, are we working with the right partners? If not, then who do we want to work with? And what is the right partner profile? Um, are we getting as much out of our partners as we should be? So really looking for efficiencies and costs 
savings as well as um, uh, accelerating growth through the channel because there isn't much as much resource as there used to be to go direct, for example, and do it instead of the channel. The second thing that we're seeing um, rethought is um, the regional organizational structure um, as well. So because growth through entering new markets isn't really a big priority right now, um, there's a question of what is the management structure that supports uh, cost-effective localization. The pressure is to localize, but the cost cannot be justified in a lot of cases. And so rethinking the regional organizational structure and the hubbing structure um, is a big theme. The third thing that we're seeing is uh, around this prioritization point that I mentioned earlier, meaning which markets you really want to focus on within each market, which segments of customers do you really want to focus on, uh, and um, uh, how are you going to go after those customers. So really narrowing down your commercial strategy to the most profitable or the most promising uh, customers rather than going big and broad. Uh, that goes along with localization. So in some cases, you find that you do have a very attractive customer base, but the only way to serve it in a competitive way is to go more local, especially on the product side and on the manufacturing side. So we're seeing a little bit of um, that question coming up. Uh, and of course, combined with the uh, foreign exchange volatility, it's really accelerating the decision-making around localizing production. Um, and finally, it's a question of uh, managing disruptions. I think at this point, it's painfully obvious um, that you need to have mechanisms to monitor the external environment before it hits your performance, before it hits your customer, and before it hits your partner, as opposed to being in reactive mode, which is costly and inefficient when it's happening in 15 markets at the same time. Uh, and so we're seeing companies revamping uh, their monitoring functions uh, to make sure that they're a lot more agile. Great. And I want to come back to this uh, topic of uh, disruptions, especially regional, regional disruptors and which ones require attention. Before we go there, though, I want to focus a little bit on growth opportunities. Um, what opportunities, from your perspective, thinking about it maybe from a, a country-specific perspective, from thinking about segments, what opportunities should, should definitely be on the radar of uh, companies right now? Mm -hmm. So in terms of countries, there are countries that are winning from the drop in energy prices. So we shouldn't forget that. But they're smaller and less obvious than the big ones. And so they're still a little bit under the radar, which is good news for companies that are willing to go after them. But for example, um, East Africa, like Kenya, for example, Francophone West Africa, a country like Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Central European countries like Poland or Romania, they're all gaining from the drop in oil prices. And they're seeing benefits both to government spending as well as to consumer spending, uh, which companies should be taking advantage of. Uh, and, and because we expect oil prices to stay low, we expect this benefit to continue to be in place for several more years. There are also opportunities on customer segment level. Um, so there are some industries that are seeing the drop in oil prices lowering their input costs, right? Like petrochemicals, for example. And so that creates more expansion opportunities for those businesses. Um, and also companies that are displacing imported products in domestic markets. So if you're a B2B company, uh, you know, you may w want to actually go after some of these local players and sell to them because their business is expanding, even if multinationals are uh, pulling back uh, in some of these markets. And then finally, on the government side, some governments have actually um, gained increased spending power as a result of the drop in energy prices, uh, and that should be something that companies take advantage of. Great. Thank you. So lots of opportunities, as always, d despite maybe uh, headlines that you might see that would lead you to believe otherwise. 
So I, I want to finally uh, end this conversation uh, going back to that uh, issue of disruptions, because for any um, you know head of a region, head of international um, strategy, whatever the, the role is for senior executive, managing um, different types of disruptors is a key part of being able to be successful um, as um, <clears throat> we see them in the region. There's no shortage of these in EMEA, as uh, I think we both know. In your view, what are some of the top disruptors companies should be thinking about that they must monitor in the near term in terms of likelihood as well as impact? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to highlight just two. There's many, of course. One is macro. The other one is operational. The macro one is China. Uh, We mentioned that earlier uh, in our conversation. The risk of spillover from a hard landing in China or a property market collapse in China that could spur a hard landing uh, is um, very substantial. And uh, we we even have assessed that in our um, China um, sensitivity index. But in EMEA, you will see countries all the way from sub-Saharan Africa to Western Europe feeling uh, a significant impact if uh, if we were to see... um, uh, significant crisis uh, in China's financial sector, a lot of which uh, goes back to substantial debt, both in the private and in the public sector in China. So the risk is there. That doesn't mean it's going to play out, but we are signing it a possibility of about 35% uh, that is going to play out over the next three to four years. So that's a substantial enough percentage that companies should be seriously considering what does that mean for their business and preparing for it now. Uh, and just to give you a bit of a sense of perspective here, we were talking about what does an oil price drop look like back in 2012, 2013. And that was a very unpleasant conversation because nobody really wanted to think about it. Um, and prices were at $110 a barrel, and everybody felt like they were always going to be at $110 a barrel. And obviously they're not, and they fell very abruptly, and most companies were not prepared for it. I don't think we should make the same mistake with China and just assume that things are going to work out because if they don't, there won't be enough time to react, to really adapt to it, and a lot of businesses will be disrupted as a result. The second thing is operational, which is a little bit more tactical, but quite important as well. And this is a shift that we are seeing for governments towards more protectionist policies. These play out in different ways, uh, whether it's um, import tariffs increasing, whether it's providing more uh, subsidies or incentives to local players, whether it's actually using regulation to force companies to localize. That's a big trend. And it's driven less by ideology now and much more by pretty pragmatic financial reasons uh, and looking to diversify economies away from commodity dependence in some cases. But that's a trend that isn't going away. If anything, it's going to intensify. And so companies that aren't sufficiently localized are going to find themselves at a disadvantage, both against local players as well as against um, uh, foreign players that are willing to make those kinds of investments. And so this is, again, where we go back to that portfolio question of, if you're feeling that pressure in five different markets, how do you pick the market where you do want to localize and where you do want to buy that competitive uh, position? Uh, and, and that should be a key question that is considered in the in the strat planning process. Martina, thank you for this excellent and insightful discussion. As a reminder, FSG clients can speak to Martina or me any or any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling a call with uh, your FSG Client Relationship Director. You can also access our research uh, if you found some of the insights in this discussion today interesting and you want more data and graphics that go along with that. Um, encourage you to look on the portal for the EMEA Regional Outlook or the Regional Executive Leadership Briefing. 
Um, also, um, if you're looking for uh, EMEA leading indicator data um, and really all FSG content, you can access that by using our Frontier View dashboards um, and using your Frontier View platform credentials. This concludes our podcast. We wish you great outperformance in your emerging markets.